Good Good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. My name is Larry Jacobs. (laughs) This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio on Leap Year Day. You know, this happened too often. February, oh, I can tell you we have it every four years. February 29th, 2024. Okay, thanks for being with us today on this special date. Okay, it's also special because we have a great recurring fun guest that I always enjoy having on, a school architect extraordinaire. My friend Jay Littman is on. Jay's from Rhode Island. I have all his contact information here. And you may want to talk to him because he knows a lot about learning and he knows how school environment, school climate, school environment, okay, impacts learning. Okay, and you can't design a good school unless you understand how kids learn. That's what Jay loves to talk about. Okay, we're going to talk about that with him today. He wanted to entitle the show, How We Learn From Our Mistakes. Okay, and we're going to find out what he wants to talk about in just a few seconds. You can uh, check it all out here. It's all connected with everything, all of his contact information, etc. as I blabber on here. All right, we're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org, ace-ed.org. That's the home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education. That's over. Uh, we've got, boy, I can't talk today. Okay, we've got all kinds of things over there. Everything's free over there. Let's try this again over at ace-ed.org, including all of our podcasts, our magazine, and all the information on our Equity Awards. Please check it out a-ed.org. I want to stop blabbering here. Let Jay do the blabber. And obviously, <laughs> I'm incoherent this morning. Good morning, buddy. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. How are you? I'm fine. I'm blabbering today. I don't know. My my my, my mouth is moving before my brain. What's going on? Well, in addition Dr. to the special day, I mentioned yes. to you before, this is actually the, would have been the 100th anniversary of my father's birthday. You're kidding. Well, I, I knew it was your dad's birthday, well. but I didn't know it was 100. 100. For real 100? 1924-2024. Yeah, he, wow. he passed a little while ago, but he, he, was, he was getting close. He was getting close. But this, this is the – he was born on the 29th, and wow. his mom changed his birthday till the 20th, uh, which was, uh, I think, Washington's birthday in those days. Because uh, it was easy to remember and all the confusion yeah, what yeah. happened. And when he retired, he went back and looked at his birth records and found he was actually born on the 29th. That's so, amazing. How old was he when so, he passed away? How old did, How long did he live? Just about just about 90. Good. That's a pretty damn good run, i got to tell you. Yeah, I, Although you and I are so. getting closer. That's suddenly a shorter run than I like. That's a different radio show. Exactly. <laughs> But at any rate, uh, before we go on, okay, I want you to talk about your new company. I'm just going to read this. February 2023, Jay's been in this business for years designing schools. You established Littman Architecture Educational Consulting Group, LLC, right? LLC? Yep, that's right. Yeah, okay, because you have LCC. I just realized you had LCC here. I wasn't sure about that for school design. Yeah, and then you reconnect. Okay, with your old partner, Prakash, okay, and that's at Education Design International. you just want to talk about all that sort of stuff? What do you want people to know? Well, sure. I mean, I think we had a yeah, little chat no, last no. year, almost at this time about it. But, I yeah, mean, you know, what right. I've had – yeah, I've been doing this for 45 years, and we've been trying to change schools, many of us, and I realized that working, you know, in a singular office, 
I can change a couple schools a year. How many yeah. more years? Who knows? But there's, you know, when you, when you think <laughs> there's 100,000 schools. Yeah, that's yeah. another show. But if you think there's 100,000 schools in the United States, scratching, we're just scratching the top of the lid. We're not <laughs> even getting into it. And I realized after having all these lectures, and this past year I've lectured five different conferences, and many, many people ask questions, and I knew this before in past lectures, the opportunity to collaborate with more firms, uh, with more talented groups of people, hooking up with, you know, Prakash again, which I've, you know, totaled. We've been working together for 18 years. Uh, I wanted to be able to, to be able to stretch out and, and affect and impact as many schools as I possibly can. And it's been proving it over this last year because the, the, the scope of what I'm doing has expanded wildly. Plus yeah. the opportunity to work with artists and actually use some of the things I know. And, you know, there's a very famous sculptor named Allison Newsom, and we teamed up and worked on a project in uh, um, San Antonio. We didn't win, but we, we were finalists. We got to go out there, meet everybody, and talk about how light and air and sun affects and impacts learning spaces. Creating what, you know, so I won't go into that project, but it was just very, very cool. cool. And it's been a really great year, and there's more speaking and more writing coming up. Um, so, and, and, you know, yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's, we were talking last week, and uh, you just mentioned San Antonio. You must only work places that were SA because you also just got back from Saudi Arabia, didn't you? You were, you were designing a school. Yes, yes, yes. So San Antonio, Saudi Arabia. What's doing in Saudi? What's Saudi these days for schools? Saudi Arabia is undergoing an enormous social change. I went out there with my uh, friends from EDI for a couple of weeks. We're working on the British school out there. And uh, well, the thing that shocked me is we went into the new mall called the Riyadh Mall. And as we walked in, immediately you knew the difference because instead of there being a women's floor and everyone segregated up on that floor, there were women dressed in abayas and burqas and just regular Western clothes. All walking around. There you go. Many of them, obviously Saudi, not Americans visiting, and they're working in the stores. There's no segregation at all, and nothing has been advertised about this. And even the women that were at the uh, immigration, you know, um, um, line when you come in from the airport, they're all women now. It used to be only It's interesting. Anyway. I have to ask one woman. thing, and then we're going to get into the education side. But, Jay, i got to ask you something. If you have a mall, okay, why would you segregate women? I, mean, I know it's a social custom because women are the people who go to the mall. There's not a lot of guys well, who I go think, to the mall. Uh, well, the guys How is the mall on the other floors <laughs> if the, all the women were on floor number four or whatever? That's a great not question. Good marketing. And I guess yeah. – this is the answer because uh, yeah. it's not advertised heavily, but I mean, it, you could tell all over the country that the walls are coming down, and uh, yeah. that was a real surprise to me. Um, well, that's good stuff. I, I, you, you could see it. I mean, this was my fifth or sixth trip to Saudi Arabia since 2013, and we saw this incrementally changing over the years, but this was mm. a big leap. So it's that was leap. very, very interesting to see. Yeah, it is. It is so, cool stuff. I got to tell also, you. This is, yes. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I said this is this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. We're we're traveling yeah. around a lot more. There's a lot more opportunities. Um, yeah. I mean, so you 
a lot of consultancies, a lot of uh, a lot more writing. I'm trying to put together a book. So uh, and that, and we'll have a separate show about that when I finally yeah we will as, as I told you we will absolutely do that uh, so, so but, let's but say, let me ask you this okay let me ask you this okay and I, and I know this I've talked to you enough times here on the show and privately etc you know you know a lot about education I, th- I think you do okay and um, you're always and this is an interesting point when we put together this show the first question we came up with was some examples of how we are hardwired for learning by making errors. We can talk about that. And by making errors is good. Failure is always good. That's the way you learn. Okay. But the term hardwired struck me as interesting because schools and school design, I think back when, when both of us were kids, okay, as schools were very rigid looking. You know, a lot of people always compare them to prisons, yeah. okay, which is terrible, but they were rigid, okay. They weren't, you know, you know what I'm saying. And things have yep. changed. You know that term hardwired. Just talk about that. And when you look at the education today and design a school, okay, talk about the hardwired versus maybe a little bit softwired, but more environmentally oriented to engage kids more. I don't know. However you want to say that, but I'm going to let you pontificate on that one. Go ahead. Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's things that occurred to me over the years, looking at research, looking at your own kids as they grow up. Sure. Uh, and it is true, the brain is hardwired for learning through trial and error, and it's at the most basic level. Uh, years ago, we saw a lot of research because, as I think I said in the past, one of my sons uh, was born with a hearing impairment, and we really wanted to research how, you know, about neuroplasticity in the brain. And what we learned was that the way your brain, because you don't hear with your ears. Your ears are the instrument. You hear with your brain. You see with your brain. You walk with your brain. What does your brain do? Well, in hearing, imagine like a large open field of grass and you run across it to try to get from point A to point B and you leave a little tramp down grass trail. That's an easy way to think about how the neurons work in the brain. And so, you know, the word mother has an association. And, you know, if you, you run across it, you don't hit the right spot, you don't get the response, the smile or whatever, and you keep doing it. And at one point, when when you hear mother and you look the right way, your brain now has a pathway. And so your brain forms by reuse and reuse and reuse, and you learn from it's not in the right spot the next time you try it again and again. But that's how you learn how to see, because that's been proven. Good. That's how Good. you learn how to talk. That's how you learn how to walk. You get up, you fall down. You get up, you fall down. And your body keeps making incremental adjustments until you know how to walk. And now... You know, there's a new thing that's out because I do have a grandson and I have a very yeah. sharp, you know, daughter-in-law and, and, and son to begin with. And they said, you know, well, all the new research says that you <laughs> want, like, your, your your little boy to be potty trained. You don't wait till three. You put him in underpants when he's two, and there's going to be accidents. And But the result is in two months he's potty trained at two. And a lot of their friends are doing it now, too. So, and, and did it work? That did it work? Generation. This is something new. Did yeah. it work? Yes, it, yes, it worked. Well, yes, it did, and I'm amazed. And he, he doesn't want a diaper; he wants underpants. <laughs> and you know, and and so, well. but but it's trial and error. That that's the key thing. So this, so the very start of life, it's all about that. And but it starts with with, <laughs> with how the brain is structured for that. But then it goes on, because what else do you learn from trial and error? How you ride a bike? How you might learn how to ski or swim? 
besides potty training. And those things get more sophisticated, how you drive a car, all through your life. So you don't think about it. You do, and then you do again until you get it right. And another good version of that is I, I, I love this. This is one of my favorite stories all the time is we got the first Dell computer in our house, and uh, – and, 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 and my son was nine years old at the time. He was all excited because that was the Dell computer that he and his brother were going to use. You know, so it's like 1995. And, you know, before that, the previous 10 years, you and I got a computer. What did you get out of the box? The Bible. You got the 200 or 300 or 400 page thing on turn this button, push this thing, do this, do that, go to a class at Computopia. No. So nine-year-olds, and that's, He's in the center of the whole millennial generation. I came home, computer was up and running. Everything's out of the box. Everything's <laughs> on. And he's already loaded some things up. And I'm like, what? How, did your mother help you? No. What? Well, out of the box of the Dells was a color-coded yeah. thing that says, push, put these things in here, turn, on this on, turn this on. Okay. Well, he was able to do all that and put it on. But there was a thing called Kid Desk. He already figured, had figured out how to penetrate it. It was a shield to prevent him from getting into the operating system. He was already in. <laughs> this was like three hours. And I said, well, how did you learn how to do all this? The same with when they learned Photoshop, the same thing. They're doing stuff, ringing, you know, turning rings around the people in my office when we got, you know, the Photoshop. Well, how did you learn that? I push the buttons. I, I you know, I, I, I click on these things. I see what happens. Not occurring to us to do that. That's but right. They were already set up for trial and error because all right. of the sort of products were being set. And of course, there isn't anything now that has an instruction. You like, you, you might go to a QR code, you might look at something on YouTube, but I mean, essentially, you're you're figuring this out. And that's that that whole. And now the Gen Zs are doing the same thing. And the next generation. I mean, again, my we went out to dinner with my two-year-old uh, grandson uh, last weekend, and they had a little mini iPad. It's like for kids. It's not made by Apple. It's about, you know, veterinarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a program yeah. about vet. And he was focused on that thing, but he was able to pull away and be socialized. And I said, well, how did you teach him how to use this? He goes, he just turned it on and figured it out in like three minutes. They do. That's exactly right. Do. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, but let me ask you, and, but and, I want to get back. Wait a minute. I want to get back. Okay. All this is good, but wait, when your job as a school architect, Okay, this is yep. important. Mm-hmm. Understand, yeah. you know, even even using the term hardwired again, hardwired yeah. schools, you know, they're not hardwired anymore. They're now all the, you know, it's all the web and the Ethernet and all that kind of crap. All right. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, at Wi-Fi, you know, and all that sort of thing. When you look at the way a kid learns now, okay, and they come to you and say, design us a school, design us new classrooms, design us this. When you look at it from your point of view, you as the architect, how's, it, how's, how's this come down practically into what you do? But I think this is important for schools to understand, okay? Right. Because well, a lot of them are in, I'll use the word again, rigid classrooms, okay? Older schools, rigid classrooms, but things have changed. Go ahead. Jay. Things have changed radically. That's right. And one of the things. And, and by the that, way, your point is right. You know, people don't look at the instructions anymore. We now intrinsically have taught ourselves how to hook all this crap up, okay, and uh, and use it. And uh, you know, go ahead. Just go ahead. I'm, I'm curious about how you're going to answer that question. Well, yeah, because it's it's your point of view of what a school is. 
So a school is either a box with instructional spaces in it, and most architects still follow that, you know, and, you know, we overuse the term cells and bells, but that's what it is. <laughs> there are boxes that teachers go in. They occupy those. They don't talk to anybody else for the most part because it's not conducive. And, of course, no. you know, there are there is a subset of kids that would love to be instructed, and they do very well. They they might sometimes get grow out of it, and they might crash and burn when they get to college, and it isn't like that anymore. Uh, but that's for the most part, it's 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 an instructional space. I don't see it as an instructional space. School is a social space, because the full idea of and I'll talk about this in a minute more natural learning as opposed to in quotes school learning and something that Richard Elmore, uh, who is a professor emeritus at. Uh, at Project Zero at Harvard had talked about for mm -hmm. years, and he was a colleague of ours at Fielding Nair International for years as well. Um, and so what that is, is natural learning is everything I've just talked about. You learn from your parents. You learn from trial and error. You learn by figuring it out. You learn by putting it all together in groups of people. That's natural learning. School learning, and, and more and more so, because we're in a more socially adept society, we're more connected than we've ever been, it's becoming more and more uh, the norm, but schools have not changed. So school learning and natural learning have moved apart. If you look at a graph, you'd see a low slope for the development of school learning, and then you'd see the innovations in natural learning because of all right. the other tools, you know, simulators, VR, AR. If you go to the Media Lab at MIT, it's all natural learning in the giant right. building that's completely incredible place to learn and to be uh, inspired in, that's what school should be. School should be places where it's the best place to meet people. It's the best place to create environments where teachers can work with three students at a time, five students at a time, you know, room of students occasionally. Why does it have to be, you know, uh, one in 20 or one in 25 every single moment of the day? And it doesn't have to be, and we've proven that. New school that just opened in uh, – in uh, Cranston, Rhode Island this past September, mm -hmm. the Garden City Elementary School, which is, is, is getting a lot of uh, airplay and publicity, I've lectured about it all year, is the first school <laughs> where we've been able to do a clean sheet, completely brand new from the ground up, not renovating an old building, which you can do, but what would happen if you, you didn't have any of the skeleton of the older type of instructional yeah, you had your buildings to play with? Yeah. Right, yeah. and we wound up with a school that's an amazing social space that I've had more and more people say, oh, I live in that neighborhood. You did that school? My kids <laughs> love that school. The teachers what's love there? that school. Wait a minute, what's getting... there? Talk about what's there. What makes it so different? Well, what's there is when you walk into the space, as soon as you go through, you know, the security and the welcoming entry point, you almost immediately go into the giant two-story uh, social heart. That is where the cafeteria is. It's where the stage is because this is an elementary school. There's a giant <laughs> uh, sort of, uh, you know, gathering stairs yep. that you can walk up or you can sit on. You can watch movies in it. Parents will come in. The science fair is there. Uh, it, it's the social cauldron of the school. And from there, you go either up the stairs. So to get to the second floor, the second floor is kind of stripped away. You can see it. You can go up the stairs and go, and go into it. Or the lower floors, you know, there's – there's probably about 30 feet of corridor in the entire school because you move from one kind of space to another, so you transition. You're not going down a dark corridor and then turning into a room. You're going down like a, like a, um, 
uh, an act an activity space, and then you know the two big double doors open up, and you're into another big open space, which is a learning commons inside this uh, collaborative you know learning community. And in there, there are different sized rooms, and the teachers own all the rooms. They own all the small group rooms. They they, they yeah. own that that one little community that might have 100 to 120 students in it for like an elementary school. It also means that if you have five learning communities in a school like that, which would give you, you know, 575 students, that's the size of the school, and there, God forbid there is an emergency, you don't have to shut down 90 doors and lock them. You shut down five sets of doors and the school is locked down. You can't get through because those rooms are now locked off and those kids all have a way to get out of the building. So that's just a safety thing, but it wow. just shows wow. there's, there's a simplicity to this kind of layout. And the important thing is the lighting is set up to be the best lighting you can have and to have dim areas and bright areas because you want your eyes to dilate open and close. There's windows out to every place. There's doors on the first floor, at least, to get out to uh, outdoor learning rooms that are sheltered from, you know, weather. Um, right. There's a lot of, like, natural growth areas in there. This is a public school, by the way. This is not a private school. It's a public school. And, uh, you know, all the finishes in the room are, are, are designed to absorb sound and to modulate sound and to diffract sound. So in a big room, if someone's talking at one end and you're at the other, you're not really in a big room. You're in a room that has lots of nooks and crannies. The furniture is designed around a whole series of learning patterns. Teachers get to learn what all this is. Because, by the way, the teachers were always in the instructional type school. So part and parcel of anything you do in these kinds of schools, you have to retrain the teachers. And most of these I, teachers are I was going to ask you that. now anyway. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. all in their 30s now. I mean, they're, they're, they're ready. I, I, to, they're I, ready I, to, yeah, exactly. They love it. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, they're all, the, the teaching staff are mostly millennials now because <laughs> 2024 has just crept up on us, Larry. It's no longer, yeah, know. you know, the teacher. When I started doing this, those teachers were in underpants you know, in training pants, not now. Yeah, just, and yeah, this is, I'm just going to say not that they're going to be underpants, not training pants. Yeah, That's right. But, <laughs> that's like, but. I got to ask you a question on this, Jay. All right. And I'm going to be the devil's advocate for one second. Okay. <laughs> you, and I, and I, you know, I know how hard and how good and how perfect the school is Garden City. Okay. The kids mm-hmm. get used to it. And mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. And the teachers get used to it too. But for the kids, Okay, what happens when they move to the next school? What's the next school like? How does that impact? How do you talk? In other words, uh, Cranston, Rhode Island, let's use them. They wanted to do the, the right thing for the kids, and they did with the school that they designed, that you guys designed and put together for them and all that sort of thing. But the kids still have to go to, I'll call it the middle school or the high school, probably isn't like Garden City Elementary. Okay. That's right. What, what, it's how, not. What, what's what? Yeah, of course. I mean, and it couldn't, it couldn't be the stage of the game. you got to do one well, step. Well, I mean, what, what, what eventually – What happens at that stage? And I'm, I'm just curious well, about it. I don't even know if you've thought about that. I'm sure you have. Oh, well, no, no, we have thought about it because we've designed – I mean, the, uh, the Horace Greeley High School in Chappaqua, New York, we've, you know, I, I've taken the largest areas of that high school. Well, you know, the L wing is 40,000 square feet, and we converted that entire thing. We re – purpose the library, we built a new wing for STEAM learning. So the high schools around the country, you know, and there's me and my colleagues have done this all over the country over the years. But your question is, 
yes, there's going to be a friction when those kids, yeah. you know, that now have a learning style, which is more akin to and then supported by the new school. If they go into, in Cranston, for instance, into the older, and there's some very, very old middle schools in Cranston. Yeah, know, like anywhere on the East Coast, course, yeah. It, yeah, well, the hope is that they start to change their middle schools and their high schools. Yeah, and they would, I'm sure they would love to. The problem, as we've said many times in the past, is that it's a cash as catch can uh, infrastructure rebuild around the country. The state of Rhode Island has a very great uh, liberal system, and they, and they really do well with the reimbursement system to encourage schools to, you know, not only renovate and rebuild, but innovate. And they give you extra, you know, um, um, extra points in your um, reimbursement to do that. But still, you know, look, it, it, before COVID, you could build a, a brand new elementary school for $420, $450 a square foot. It now costs for a brand new elementary school, if you said, let's start today and build, uh, you know, a 600 student elementary school, it's going to cost you seven to $800 a square foot. Double. So double. Yeah. Right. Double. So the money, yeah. it's, it's less in the Midwest, but the East coast is where I work mostly, you know, when I'm, when I'm up close and personal with these projects and it's tough. And the, and the problem is, and, you know, even though, you know, Biden's, um, you know, infrastructure plan has some money for schools and it's helping, it's a drizzle. All the money that they yeah. just, pop, yeah. you know, said the trillions of dollars they just set aside, you could do a, uh, a, a two or three trillion dollar education reinvestment act across the whole country, and you would still yeah. probably only affect 10 to 20 percent of the schools that are out there. Because a new urban uh, high school for 1,800 students is going to cost you over $300 million now. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's insane. I mean, you could build a bridge for what you could build. A high exactly. Because, but they're all sophisticated spaces. So to go back to your question. Well, the trick is to, to put the kids? school on the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. The, re- the reality that, that we've seen everywhere, and, and it's, this is not this is only the, the second elementary school that's had radical change, you know, in Cranston, Rhode Island, is that the, the teachers and, and the students become the example for the rest of the school district. They cycle more of the teachers in the elementary school level, for instance, and I'm sure the high school through, uh, you know, it, it, it becomes, in this case, Garden City becomes the lab school, and they start to learn from example. And during COVID, you know, my office and I, you know, together, we put together a document that said, how do we make regular schools that have no money to spend, uh, how, how would you take the lessons we're learning? reconfigure the existing furniture, uh, change the way the uh, the actual schedules work with teachers, how they group together, repurpose certain classrooms as gathering spaces. So you can restructure the way the school runs and make minor changes to have an interim, you know, setup that at least gives the students more of the freedom and the networking capability. And we're talking about face-to-face human network capability. And, 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 yes, it also means the parents get upset because the kids come home and say, I don't like school anymore again. And they go to the school, and they're used to seeing Garden City. But they walk into some, two, you know, two or three of these That's right. middle schools in, in, in Cranston, they're going to blow their top. 
That's right. And and by the way, the other the other phenomenon that's happening in these <laughs> neighborhoods is when those kind of schools open, the property values in that neighborhood have started to rise rapidly. Well, that, that, uh, that, the current mayor lives in that neighborhood, and he's all commented on it that gee, this is great for me because my house is worth a lot more. But that means younger families move in, and they want to really stay in this in 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 the city. And when That's they right. see what their kids are going to next, they're going to blow their top, and there will be, you know, the, uh, the citizens vote. And when citizens vote, things happen. And so that's what happens. I mean, the, the school district would instantly change every school in the city if they could. But, you know, it, it's a lot you of can. money. It's a lot you of can. money. So, can't do it so, all but, can't, but that's, can't do it all but, at once. But that's okay. That's right. But yeah. so the good is, as you were being playing devil's advocate, so the, so, so the right side of that coin is every one of those schools becomes an example and a prototype for other people to, to copy and move on to. And, and you know, it's going to take 50 years in America because we just don't have any kind of socialized system that would do what I just said, you know, create a gigantic school reinvestment act. And I keep talking to my congressman in Rhode Island about pushing that, but, of course, we can't push, a, you know, a, a, a a, a bubblegum ball through Congress right now, <laughs> let alone a gigantic, you know, thing like that. But it, there will be a time when you can. And and we want to have those schools up and running and, you know, have them being publicized, having studies done in them. Um, I already know that Garden City has been doing great. I, I forget who it was, who was um, just a guy we're working with that's an engineer who moved in the neighborhood and the minute he found out that, I was involved in that project. He started going, because I, you know, I'm not there every day. So I just hear from parents, but that's who counts. Is the parents are telling you their kids love school and they can't believe what an incredible space it is. And that's about, and then the teachers say, you know, because the beginning teachers unions were saying, you can't do that. That teacher owns that room. Now they're saying in, in the places where we've done this and it's been successful, why can't we do this everywhere? The exactly. Teachers are an entire giant hunk of the school now. Um, so yeah, so th- so that's the whole thing. But it all starts with just bringing this back to the beginning that that natural learning is is a social phenomenon because you know we yeah. ask young kids when when, when we do these uh, you know um, the community discovery visits who do you learn from best? Teachers are probably the third or fourth on the list. It's usually the grandparents, their parents, their friends, and then teachers. And the reality is, uh, you know, if you, can re- if you can reproduce that in school and have places where three or four kids can get together after they get an assignment and work as a team, I mean, the simplest thing that every first-grade teacher knows now is if you put three kids together in a corner and say, okay, here's the spelling words, you guys learn them, they learn them faster than if they went home and worked with their parents or if the teacher drills them on the wall, you know, on, 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 on the marker board in front of them. And I, we have films of these kids doing this and how they work together naturally. There's no repercussions if it's wrong. They correct each other, and, they, and the learning accelerates at, at a wild pace. And, again, the Media Lab at MIT is all based yeah. on groups of people working together. And yeah. it's like that is the, what, one of the most sophisticated learning like, spaces in the world. Sakes. That's what business is like. You said that earlier. Okay. Jay, oh, yeah. thanks. You know, you know, I, I tell you, we got to go, but I tell you, I always love having you on. We're going to do more. Okay. And we're going to do more. When the, when's the book, when do you hope to have the book out? Uh, well, my goal right now is to have something ready to go to somebody to consider putting it out there. And I have a couple of publishers that I've talked to in the past about it by the end of the year. 
Great. So, uh, so, well, anytime so you want to come on or you want to bring some of the teachers and... or educators you work with, bring them on. Just give me a call. Do it. Yeah, we can do like a roundtable. That would be I'd kind love of interesting. It. Do it. Yeah. we got to go. I will. Thanks, buddy. Okay. I appreciate it. Sure thing. appreciate you. It's always a pleasure. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks, yep. Jay. Bye. 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 Jay Littman, everybody. Okay? And he's always got these great insights. I just love having him on. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. And I hope you go over there and check out what we do. Check out what Jay does. I have all his contact information here. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Jacobs. <laughs>